This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, April 1st, 2021. This week's Indigo Mac Podcast security headlines include iOS developers are the target of a new malware attack. There's a new warning about app subscriptions and potential fleeceware. 5G vulnerabilities could expose user location data. Plus, some private browsing tips, including a desktop Safari security setting you might have missed. Now, here are the hosts of the Indigo Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Indigo's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing okay. You know what tomorrow is? And I say tomorrow because we're recording the day before tomorrow, so we're recording on yesterday. <laughs> so do you know what tomorrow is? Yes. Tomorrow, the day this episode will be released, is April 1st. April 1st. What usually happens on April 1st, Josh? This is that dreaded day when people make dumb jokes on the internet... And this whole practice should have been stopped decades ago. But inevitably, there are still even news sites that try to pull the pull this off every year. And it's just it's just a nightmare. Yeah, I found it annoying. Now, last year, since we were already dealing with COVID and a lot of people were in lockdown, there were very few such things. Just to let everyone know, we're not going to do an April Fool's joke, neither here or on the Intego website or on the Intego Mac security blog. But it did remind me of that one really good April Fool's joke that was not a joke in 2004 when Google announced Gmail. And everyone thought it was a joke because free email with a gigabyte of storage? I mean, how would that be possible? Yet, it was true. Yeah, Gmail was a huge thing for the time. We didn't have a really strong contender that I think everyone could just easily go to that was free, that provided a ton of storage. That was one of the really big, I don't know if you can call it a selling point for a free service, but that was one of the big things about it was that you never have to delete your email. You don't have to delete it manually. You know, anytime you get attachments, you don't have to worry about, is this filling up my inbox? Uh, That was one of the beautiful things things about Gmail from the start was that they gave you a lot of storage. Also, another service that launched on April 1st was the Cloudflare DNS service we mentioned a couple of times, 1.1.1.1, because it's 4.1, so they launched it on 4.1, April 1st. They thought that was clever. I thought that was kind of confusing because it was like, okay, are you really launching this service then? Yeah. The the problem is if it's a serious product or service being released, everyone questions it. And and with Google, it was actually good for them. They got a lot of press because if you remember back in 2004, Google was not evil. Uh, Yeah. We didn't know it was evil yet anyway. (laughs) Yes. Okay, in other news, a quick public service announcement. Apple has said that their worldwide developer conference will be held from June 7 through 11, once again in a virtual format like last year. Uh, you know, I have I know a number of developers, and particularly developers who aren't in the U.S., for whom, if they win the lottery to get a ticket and to pay the exorbitant price to go to the WWDC, they then have to pay for uh, airfare and hotel rooms at exorbitant prices as well. And while you don't get the meet and greet one-to-one experience, I think this is a really good thing for Apple to do. I hope that when the dust settles after COVID, if there is an after, they do have... Even if they have the physical meeting, they should have a virtual meeting as well, because it allows developers all around the world who can't afford to go to get all this information. Absolutely. Yeah. Apple has made a lot of big fans in the developer community between last year and then 
with them about to repeat the same thing this year, just because th- the whole thing was free. And that's really cool. I mean, there's a lot of developers that really can't get into WWDC every year. And so this is a this is a big deal. So, yeah, I, I do think that Apple's likely to have a free tier going forward, even if we do get back to in-person events maybe next year. Okay, another public service announcement. Apple released emergency updates for iOS and the Apple Watch iOS 14.4.2, iPadOS 14.4.2, watchOS 7.3.3. There was a serious vulnerability in WebKit, the framework that renders web browser pages and email pages. And Apple said the vulnerability was being actively exploited in the wild. This was a one of these one-off in-between updates that people were saying really update quickly. So if you haven't updated your devices, you should do it today. Interestingly, they have not yet released an update for macOS or for Safari for, for Mac. So maybe it's not being actively exploited on Macs or maybe it's not something that necessarily affects Macs. I don't know. In any case, yes, all your iDevices and your watch need to be updated. Okay. There's new Mac malware called Xcode Spy that installs an eggshell backdoor targeting iOS app developers. What can you tell us about that? All right. So there's some new malware that is specifically targeting iOS app developers in this case. And there's a sort of a similar thing that's going on here to what we saw with some other Mac malware last year. We saw in October there was something called XCS Set, and that malware also came usually in the form of a trojanized Xcode project, which was found on GitHub. Basically, the same thing happened again this time, but it's specifically targeting iOS app developers. And when they opened these Xcode projects, it changed some things and in, and installed some additional things on your Mac that you didn't really want there, like this eggshell backdoor. And that allowed an attacker to be able to get into your Mac and they could access your microphone, your camera, record keystrokes, the whole nine yards. I would say probably there's a number of developers who aren't really careful with things like this. I mean, a lot of Mac users in general don't use antivirus software like they should. So if you're working under the assumption that Macs really don't get malware, that's not really a thing then you could very well get infected. And if you're a developer, you should be running antivirus software and you should be very careful about the sources from which you obtain open source materials. Yeah, developers are generally quite interested on getting open source code to save them time. Someone may have developed a framework or some code snippets that are useful. And in most cases, you just want the code. So the code itself is just text and it can't be dangerous. So you need to be careful how you actually get that code. Arguably, text can be dangerous if you copy and paste it into something. <laughs> yeah. If there's something malicious about that, uh, what's in the text. But yeah, you're right. Generally speaking, you're, you're only going to get your Mac infected if you are downloading an Xcode project that happens to be infected. And if you're just copying a couple of lines of code, if you're a good developer, you should be able to to look at that code and be able to tell exactly what it's doing and know whether it's going to do something bad to your system. Okay, there's been a bit of discussion about fleeceware lately. So fleeceware is not these winter garments that you wear to keep you warm in the cold weather. It is software that is designed to scam you often through subscriptions. You may get an app and have a seven-day free trial 
trial or whatever and think that afterwards it's going to be, you know, $2 a month for subscription. But if you miss the small print, it can be a lot more. It turns out that apps like this can scam people for thousands of dollars. And some researchers have totaled up the numbers and they think that it's over $400 million that's been collected from these. These are subscriptions that are often weekly as opposed to monthly, and they can be from a few dollars to up to $66 a week. The thing is, so I have a number of apps I use that have subscriptions. And here's an example. One password is a password manager. I used to like it when it didn't have subscriptions and then they changed the model because they want recurring revenue, but it's okay. I don't mind. I use an app called Bear, which I use to collect text and notes and, and URLs and all that. I'll put links in the show notes to these apps. I use OneBlocker, which is a subscription app. OneBlocker is $10 a year. Bear is, I think, $15 or $20 a year. So these are really small numbers. It, it'd be pretty rare for me other than one password, to pay for something on a weekly or a monthly fee. But I've noticed, particularly because I'm into photography, that there are lots of apps that do things with your photos, like filters, like applying filters. And they often have weekly subscription fees. And I think the reason is either they're scamming people or they expect that people are only going to use it for a week or two and then cancel the subscription. The sad thing is that this is an ongoing thing that's actually been happening for years. So if this story sounds familiar, it might be because the year before, last year, there was another team of researchers that published something about the same thing with the iOS uh, App Store, the same, same thing that we're talking about again here. This group of researchers said that they found a total of 204 fleeceware apps on both Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. And it might surprise you to know that 134 of those 204 were found on Apple's iOS App Store. There were only 70 by comparison, uh, about half as many that were found on Google Play. That does tell you that there's a lot of this stuff out there. So definitely worth looking very carefully at any apps. Even if it's in the App Store, you can't necessarily trust it. You do need to still be very cautious when you install any app, even on iOS. Oh, one other thing, Kirk. You mentioned that you're using Bear and some of these other apps. I actually already knew that about you. Because I already mentioned it on the podcast. <laughs> I knew that even before you mentioned it on the podcast. And that's because you have an article on the Mac Security blog in which you explain how to check your subscriptions. And you've got some nice screenshots in there that you use Guardian Puzzles and Crosswords and Bear and One Blocker for Safari. And, oh, you have Apple TV Plus as well. Well, Apple TV Plus is free. And I, I have tried to do the Guardian's cryptic crosswords. If anyone does crosswords and they know what cryptic crosswords are, they know that they are very hard to do for people who aren't British. It's a British style of crossword. But yes, I have a, a handful of apps. My 1Password subscription doesn't go through Apple. It goes directly with them. But I'm not really big on subscriptions because I, I want to own the app, and, and an app has to provide an, an actual ongoing service to me to make a subscription worthwhile. Absolutely. So the reason I mentioned this article, we will have a link in the show notes. This is definitely something you should check out because a lot of people don't realize when you delete an app from your iPhone, it doesn't cancel the subscription, which is crazy. And there is some fine print. Apple does kind of try to let you know this, but they don't really do anything to help you to cancel that subscription beyond that. 
when I go here, I see absolutely nothing. I have zero subscriptions going through Apple. But you may have something in there that you didn't know you were still paying for that you may have paid for a long time ago. So make sure to check out your subscriptions and and you might end up saving some money when you realize you're still subscribed to something you're not using anymore. Do you not have a free subscription to Apple TV Plus? Um, I don't yet. And I actually qualify for one. I, I need to sign up for it. I just I'm. I don't know. I'm dragging my feet because I have all these subscription television and movie watching services already. And do I really need Apple TV Plus? I mean, I guess I might as well since I can get it for free now for a year. But if it's free. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about another scam and some other security news. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. So, we talked about scams in the first part, and here's another one. Washington Post reports... Can we get some reverb on this, Doug? The Washington Post reports... He believed Apple's App Store was safe. Then, a fake app stole his life savings in Bitcoin. So the person in question, he's using a hardware device to store info about his Bitcoin, his cryptocurrency. It's called Trezor, T-R-E-Z-O-R. And he found an app and downloaded it, and it had ratings up to five stars, and he put in his credentials. And in less than a second, as the Washington Post says, nearly all of his life savings, 17.1 Bitcoin, worth $600,000 at the time, was gone. The app was a fake designed to trick people into thinking it was a legitimate app. And so he's suing Apple because he's saying that, well, Apple markets the App Store as a safe and trusted place where apps are reviewed, where these things shouldn't happen. And yes, he's right, but yes, he's wrong. In other words, he really should pay more attention to that sort of thing. It's like Apple shouldn't be selling fake apps and Apple should have some responsibility, but there's no way he's going to get this virtual pseudo money back. By the way, that 17.1 Bitcoins, in today's U.S. dollar, that is worth over a million dollars. So, yikes. That's a lot of money to lose just because of a mistake, because of downloading an app from a trusted app store, and then it turns out that it was a scam app. Yet another reason why you got to be really, really careful, even on iOS, about what apps you choose to download. I would say this is another reason why you should avoid 
cryptocurrencies, but that's just me. Really, if you're going to be a cryptocurrency advocate and you're going to collect cryptocurrency, then you need to make sure that you are very, very careful about it, like way more careful than you are about just about anything else, because there are so many apps out there that are designed to steal cryptocurrency, whether it's Trojan horse apps like this that overtly say, hey, I'm a cryptocurrency app. You can trust me. Or there's also malware that just looks in the the usual spot on your drive to see if you've got a cryptocurrency wallet and they'll steal it from you if you don't have antivirus software installed. Okay, we've got an interesting story about new 5G protocol vulnerabilities that allow location tracking. And what I like is that these vulnerabilities impact 5G's network slicing mechanism, a feature that allows network operators to split their 5G infrastructure into smaller portions dedicated for particular use cases, such as automotive, healthcare, critical infrastructure, and entertainment services. I'm going to link in the show notes to an episode where we talked about how 5G works, because 5G works in a different way than 3 and 4G. And this is an interesting vulnerability. If someone can get location information, that's really valuable information about you. There's not really, unfortunately, anything that we can do about this because we don't control the 5G networks. I would say just as a general rule, if you want to be a little bit more uh, private then you probably should be using a VPN anyway on your device because uh, there are certain things that can be determined about your location just based on your IP address, regardless of whether you are on a Wi-Fi network or whether you're on you know the local 5G or 4G network. Your IP address reveals a lot about where you're located anyway. So I would say, at the very least, if you're concerned about people knowing where you are, then use a VPN because at least that can somewhat mask your location in a lot of different scenarios. Okay, we were talking before the show and we found something that you didn't know. You were saying to me that you use Safari for your web browsing because you like to have private browsing windows. And what you like about Safari is that if you have to restart your computer, when Safari launches, it reopens all your private browsing windows. Now, this is good and bad. It's good because it saves them for you, but it might be bad because if someone else restarts your computer. But we found that there's a setting that you weren't aware of. If you go to Safari Preferences General, there's a setting Safari opens with. You can choose all windows from last session or all non-private windows from last session. And for me, I since I don't remember ever changing the setting, I believe the default is all windows from last session. Now, this is kind of interesting because you might perceive that that is a somewhat of a privacy concern or could be because maybe you don't really want all of your private browsing sessions to be restored the next time that you open Safari. You know, there may be scenarios where you're using private browsing because you don't want someone to come along later and see what you were looking at. But uh, in this case, if someone has access to your machine, they could sit down at, at your computer, reopen Safari, and pull up all the private browsing windows that you had open last time if you happen to leave them open when you quit the app. So um, that is something to be aware of. If you don't want that behavior, then you can change the default. You can change it to all non-private windows from last session, and that will work just as well. For me, I, and you mentioned that I use Safari. Safari is one of many browsers that I use. My primary browser, as we've mentioned recently, is Microsoft Edge Canary. I like Edge because it uses the same rendering engine as Google Chrome, but it doesn't have the extra junk and privacy invading things that Chrome likes to include by default. But just like 
every other browser that I'm aware of, your private browsing windows are gone forever. As soon as you quit the app, even if you left them open when you quit, they will be gone the next time you relaunch the browser. So it is something worth noting about Safari that it does give you that flexibility if that's a useful feature to you to have private browsing windows reopen. If I had time, I would go through our podcast from 2019 where, and I'm pretty sure this is a direct quote, you said, why would anybody use Edge? Do you remember that? I Yeah, it's true. I said that. Yeah, we actually, we have an article also on the Intego Mac Security blog, where we talk about here are some alternative browsers if you want to switch browsers on Mac OS or iOS, two actually, a separate article for each of those. And yeah, that's basically what I said about Edge at the time was uh, why would anybody use Edge on a Mac? Like the only reason I could think of at the time was if you use Windows some of the time, like maybe when you're at work, you use Windows and you want to have the same bookmarks or favorites synchronized when you're at home. Okay, then maybe that makes sense to use Edge in that scenario. But um, I like that you're open to change, Josh. Hey, yeah. I mean, everyone should be. I think that's a good thing. So as long as we're talking about web browser windows, we have an article by developer Jeff Johnson where he says, closing web browser windows doesn't close connections. And I found that really interesting, that there's still a connection from a server to your browser even when the window's closed. And is this bad? Is this good? Is there a reason for this? Well, I wouldn't say this is necessarily good or bad. Where where it becomes a potential concern is when it comes to privacy. Um, you can type in a command in terminal if if you're you know willing to uh, scare yourself a little bit. <laughs> oh come on! I'm sure lots of our listeners know how to use terminal. Oh no no no! I just mean like if you're willing to be scared by the results from running this command, ah, like like okay. seeing all the open connections, and uh, you might get a little paranoid because some of these things are are going to be unclear exactly what what uh, connection is established here. So one of the things that you might see here is a bunch of IP addresses. Um, so it may not really be obvious what exactly these connections are, which is why I said this may look a little bit scary. Jeff took a look at what was established and he saw that there were connections open. By the way, you can you can also use other tools like Intego's NetBarrier to see what connections are active on your machine at any given time. And it gives you a much nicer interface than using this terminal command because you can actually very easily see what apps you have open and which apps actually have established those connections with uh, different websites and different servers. Another thing he points out is that when you close private browsing windows, the connections are shut down. Yeah, that's right. Um, so this was really interesting to me. I didn't know about this. Uh, what he said here is that if, as he was experimenting with this, he discovered that when he closed a browser window that was not private browsing, these connections remained established. And there's a good reason for this. Um, among other things, it, it makes sure that you don't have to, your computer in the background doesn't have to look up the DNS all over again. So if you go to apple.com again, within the next several minutes, it's not going to have to figure out, okay, well, what IP address is that? It, which, you know, it, it all takes milliseconds, but, you know, you, you don't want these things necessarily to be happening every single time. And so that's one of the reasons why these connections are, are maintained is to save time. 
And with the private browsing windows, what he discovered was that if he went to a website in a private browsing window and closed all the private browsing windows, now those connections actually dropped, which is good. This is the behavior that you do want to see. So this is another reason why you may want to consider using private browsing, uh, especially if you're concerned about, you know, what sites that you visit might be able to glean about you and, you know, whether they might be able to find out your actual IP address after you disconnect from the VPN or things like that. Okay, let's end with an article on the website of one of our sister companies, CyberGhost, why unsubscribing from spam emails is not the safest. This is something I've been aware of for a long time. When you click an unsubscribe link in an email, you're basically telling the spammer that your address is good. And in some cases, you can end up getting more spam. Now, Apple has a new system they introduced a couple years ago that if you're on a mailing list, you can click an unsubscribe link in the header of your email to unsubscribe. And Apple does it in a slightly different way. It's not going to be from your address. I'm not sure how it works. Is that safer than than just a normal unsubscribe? I think the way that Apple's feature works is that um, it looks to see if this is like a, an established mailing list backend. So if they're using a system that is common, that a lot of companies are using, then it, it knows that it's safe to uh, use that unsubscribe link. And it just puts it in a little bit more uh, in your face rather than having to look at the very bottom of the email for an unsubscribe from this list link. What this article on the CyberGhost blog is talking about is that when you get unsolicited mail, which is like, that's the definition of spam, right? Is unsolicited commercial email. You don't want to necessarily reveal anything about yourself by clicking on one of these unsubscribe links. Because remember, you're going to give them your IP address. You're going to confirm that you actually do have that email address, that you're checking it on a regular basis because the only way for you to click on that unsubscribe link is if you checked that email that they sent you. So they may not even know whether their emails are getting to a person or not. But as soon as you click on that link, or in some cases they'll say reply and type unsubscribe in you know in the in the subject line or something like that. As soon as you do that, then you're confirming to that company that you got their email, which may mean uh, maybe they'll take you off of that list even, but they might also add you to three or four other lists or sell your email address to somebody else because now they've confirmed that your address is actually working. So one other thing that I wanted to make sure that we mention about this is that. It's important to not destroy the reputation of legitimate brands by clicking on that spam button. As tempting as that is, it's important to understand the difference between spam and what sometimes people call somewhat jokingly ham, right? <laughs> You've got companies that you intended to subscribe to or you establish some business relationship with. You may have an account with them and you may not want to be on a particular mailing list. So in those cases, because you know you have a re relationship with that company, you should use those unsubscribe links because it, it makes sense, right? They already know that you have that email address because you signed up with them. You don't want to click the spam button because what can inadvertently happen is that sometimes legitimate companies get blacklisted by these anti-spam companies because they see a lot of people clicking on these uh, this is spam buttons. And that might be email providers like Microsoft, maybe use Outlook or Hotmail, maybe use Gmail. And the more people click on that spam button, 
the more likely it is that those messages are going to get automatically filtered for anybody who receives those emails in the future. So make sure you do the right thing by those companies and do unsubscribe to things that you know you signed up for or you have a relationship with that company. Don't do it whenever there's a somebody who's sending you email and you've never heard of them before. It is okay if you don't have a relationship with that company to hit that spam button. Please do because it tells your email provider that they are junk and nobody should be getting this message. Quick anecdote related to that. I have been hosting my personal website on wordpress.com for a couple of years. And sometime last year, I realized I wasn't getting emails from readers or I wasn't getting the kind of emails that would tell me there was a new comment that I needed to moderate. And I looked into it. It turned out that the WordPress email server was blacklisted because so many people had used it for spam. I had to put a plug in onto my WordPress installation to be able to get those emails through a different route. That's really interesting and also really not surprising to me. I, I've been researching spam for, I don't know, probably more than 20 years at this point. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of things, good and bad, with how different companies handle spam. I just want to say that I've got this feeling that we're going to hear something about new Apple stuff next week. We were talking about the rumors for March 23rd, and it didn't happen. And I think we're getting close to a new iPad, a new iMac, etc. So hopefully on next week's episode, we'll be able to talk about that. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>